Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is James 5, 7 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the, Lord is coming, the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophet who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. It is a joy to be here with you all this Sunday and a joy to, to be back in, in fellowship with, with you all here at Sojourn. Um, I am excited to pick up in the book of James today, and I hope that you are too. Uh, grateful for our pastors who so faithfully and wonderfully uh, continued this series that we're in the last two weeks. And uh, grateful for this church and what the Lord is doing here. Uh, woke up with anticipation this morning in worship, knowing that uh, this uh, Sunday we get to send someone and affirm someone as they are going into the mission field, but also we get to baptize at each of our service today people who have uh, recently uh, just begin this, this new journey of walking by faith uh, with Jesus Christ. So pray that you're excited, pray that you're ready to get into the word, and I pray that the Lord will meet you right where you are uh, today. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here, to be in your presence. Help us not to take that for granted. Thank you for your word, uh, which is truth, which gives light, which is a lamp unto our feet. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, and his presence and his indwelling for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that your word does not return to you void and that it accomplishes what you desire for it to accomplish. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak now for your servants are listening. And I thank you that your sheep know your voice and a stranger they will not follow. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Man, waiting is hard. It is difficult. Uh, just this past week, my wife and I, we were traveling back from Chicago, and uh, we found ourselves uh, doing really well on a trip. Our estimated time of arrival was 8 p.m., and we were looking at the clock like, we're actually going to get to uh, Louisville early. We're probably going to get there at 7.45. Our kids were nice and well-behaved, and it was like the perfect trip. And we're probably 30 miles outside of Louisville, where all of a sudden, traffic comes to a screeching stop. Uh, we began to search and to see what had happened, and we learned that a semi-truck had gotten to an accident with someone who was trying to 
uh, to merge onto the highway. And as a result, it actually flipped over, caught on fire, and I believe like seven other vehicles were, were affected. So an uh, eight o'clock arrival time now changed into a 11 p.m. arrival time as we were stuck in gridlock. And I just want to let you guys know, you know, your pastor and his family did a great job. I mean, we just piously prayed for three hours with our kids. It was amazing. No, we didn't. <laughs> I mean, we may have mumbled a short prayer, uh, praying for those who were impacted and affected. But uh, sadly, the majority of our time was spent with us uh, kind of getting on each other's nerves and praying that the Lord would help us not to harm each other. Okay, I'm just going to keep it real with you. Can I be honest? Uh, waiting is hard. Waiting in situations like that is hard, but waiting is especially hard when you are uh, waiting and feeling the thumb of oppression, when you are waiting and you're hurting because something um, unjustly is happening to you, when you are, are waiting and it seems like God is not near and he doesn't hear you. And this is where... James is getting at here in, in this chapter that we just read. In chapter five, we see that James is continuing to, to minister to this church. And, and in verses one through six, which we looked at last week, we see that James in, in writing is simply seeking to afflict those who are comfortable. More than likely, he's talking to those who are non-Christians who are taking advantage of the poor. And they're doing so in a very harsh way. In fact, in verse six, we read, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. So these Christians are uh, mostly in poverty, taking menial jobs, being uh, persecuted for their faith. Many of them are being murdered, maybe uh, literally murdered or just worked to the bone, and they are seeking to honor God in the way that they are waiting. They are not resisting. And James is writing to the rich, and he has some really hard words for them and saying, listen, get it together. God is going to condemn you. God is going to judge you for your actions. But now he's going to go from seeking to afflict those who are comfortable to comfort those who are afflicted. And the main question that he's uh, seeking to, to answer for us today is, is how do we, the church, how do we respond when we find ourselves uh, being oppressed by others? How do we respond when we find ourselves stuck in between a rock and a hard place? And what James is going to teach us today is this, when oppression grates, Look to Christ and patiently wait. When oppression grates, look to Christ and patiently wait. And in today's text, he's going to give us three uh, keys, three things that we need to understand if we are going to, to wait with faith. If we're going to have a faith that works, it is a faith that waits well. And so we see in verse number seven, he starts off by saying, therefore. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, we wanna remember that it is therefore a reason. 
And he's pointing us back. He's saying, as a a result of what you just heard and how God condemns uh, the rich who are oppressing those who are impoverished, I want you to know that God has a word for you in your weakness, in your poverty. And I believe that the same word is is a word that we need to to understand that God is speaking not just here to us today in in Louisville and not just to these uh, Jewish Christians who were uh, dispersed uh, back then that James was writing to, but he's also speaking to uh, Christians all over the world, all over the world who are oppressed, Christians in Venezuela. Christians in Haiti, Christians in Puerto Rico, Christians here in America who are are stuck in poverty because of uh, unjust uh, people and and, and systems that, that take advantage of the poor. And he's saying, as you wait, there's three things I want you to remember. And each of them, uh, James, each, each thing that James points us to is, is centered on the Lord. The first is this, remember the Lord's coming. Remember the Lord is coming and he is coming soon. He says, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. And we see this again in verse eight, because the Lord's coming is near. James points to the return of Christ, which is a theme, a a great theme throughout all of the New Testament. 300 times in the New Testament do we see the the parousia, the, the coming of Jesus Christ being mentioned. That's one time for every 13 verses in the Bible. And as you suffer under uh, the the thumb of oppression, and maybe that's a a, a boss um, who is kind of capped where you can go in an organization despite your qualifications and your ability, or or maybe that's in another relationship that you have where someone is uh, uh, mistreating you and, and oppressing you, remember that the Lord's coming is near. It's interesting, as we think about the, the drawing near of the Lord, um, that we want to remember that the Lord is near and, and that his coming is soon. And by it being that his coming is soon, that we should not lose hope. And sometimes I think when we think about the nearness of the Lord, we may think, well, uh, Jesus defeated death and was resurrected from the dead 2,000 years ago, and he still isn't here yet. So how near is it? Well, we want to remind ourselves when the authors say that the Lord is near, it's not uh, necessary, or coming soon, it's not necessarily saying that it's going to be tomorrow or next week. No man knows the time, but what he's saying is in the uh, his historical, uh, in a salvific uh, means and ways of God, that, that Christ's return is next. <laughs> It's, it's next in order in the, the meta-narrative of Scripture, in the big Scripture, the narrative of Scripture, that the next thing that is going to happen salvifically in God's kingdom is Christ's return. And he's saying, wait, that's what's up next. Creation happened, the fall happened, Christ coming to earth and incarnation happened, his death and resurrection happened, and guess what's next, y'all? He's coming back. He's coming back. Imagine that you go to the doctor because you're suffering a a deep illness. And as you're suffering through this this deep illness that is impacting every area of your life, you have found yourself hopeless. And as you go into that doctor's room, the doctor's office, he, he tells you, yes, this illness that you have, it is 
It is painful, it is horrific, and I know that you're suffering. But I wanna let you know that this is 100% curable. And I can't promise you when you will be cured. It may be next week, it may be a, a year from now, it may be 10 years from now, but I'm letting you know that you will be cured and it will fade away. And even though it may not solve all of your pain in that instance and in that moment, as a result of knowing that doctor's word, that this uh, illness is not terminable and it is, it is a, a, a hope that, the, that, that healing will come, as a result of hearing this, you can walk out of that doctor's office saying, you know, I'm going to be all right. Why? Because this trouble is not going to last always. And that's what James is saying here in this text. He's saying, listen, I know that you all are suffering. I know that you all are in trouble. But listen, it does not last always. A cure is coming, and that coming is in the return of Christ. So a lot of times when we think about waiting or we think about patience, the word patience means to be long-tempered. Uh, we think about waiting passively. But what James is telling us here and trying to get us to see is that patience is not passive. Patience is active. And in order to make that point, he gives us an incredible illustration or example, and it's the illustration of a farmer. Look at the text. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. So James points to a farmer and points to the farming season in which uh, rains would come. And it was normally uh, uh, early in the spring and, and late in the fall, uh, what would be September, October for us, the, the farmers knew that a rain was going to come even if they went through a deep drought. And he's saying, just like a farmer knows that the rain will eventually come, uh, you too must know that the Lord is going to come. Now here's the thing with the farmer, as James is writing to people who are in an agrarian society, people who know this illustration of farming, they would not have thought that this farmer is just uh, patient, just waiting uh, uh, passively. They know that farming is hard work, even in the midst of a drought. A farmer still has to tend the ground, pluck weeds, uh, uh, do hard work, and in the same way as we wait under oppression, as we wait in situations that seem difficult, God has called us to actively wait. And what does actively waiting look like? Well, I believe it looks like all of the book of James and what James is saying to these Christians. Continue to be faithful to the Lord. We looked at James chapter 1, 1 through 6, and we talked about suffering. James started the, the book talking about suffering. And he says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete or maturing in your faith. So even here, James is, has already given them what patiently waiting looks like. It looks like even in the midst of hardship, having joy, not because of their sorrow, but in their sorrow. They have joy in their sorrow because they know that they still belong to the Lord and that even in their pain, even in their suffering, even in being treated uh, uh, unjustly, that God is with them and for them and that he's shaping them and molding them and working in them and producing something. That begs the question, should Christians, when suffering, under the oppression of others, like this, and this is an extreme oppression, 
Uh, should Christians, uh, what should Christians do? How should our posture be uh, uh, besides the things that James mentioned? Like, should we ever fight back? Uh, and to what degree? Well, I think James is addressing that in the context of this letter by showing us, as we said, first, we need to stay prayerful. In James 1.5, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom and you don't know what to do, what do you do? You pray. You ask God for wisdom. And he says he gives wisdom generously. Second, we do speak prophetically. I mean, James has modeled prophetic speech for us. He has modeled in verses one through six that you still um, are able to speak the truth in love to those who are in power. But as we do it, we don't do it um, out of vengeance. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says that vengeance, God says, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. So we're not doing it in a secular way or in a way to harm people or to take life from them to get them back. We are engaging whoever is oppressing us in a way that is loving and and kind, that is in step with the spirit, Galatians 5.22, but that is speaking truth just like James has modeled here. And here is in in our uh, uh, country, uh, we do. We get to exercise our rights. We vote. We get to, to, to protest in, in ways that is, is legal. And we get to do it in community with brothers and sisters in Christ, running ideas by each other and praying that the Lord would guide us to know how, uh, how we should address it. But we do all this with hope, not with a nihilism. Not with the the attitude of the world, which is often we have to make this right and it all depends on us and we have to be militant and bang at the door. And if we need to get even in an evil, uh, dehumanizing way, we can do that. No, we do that saying, Jesus Christ is coming soon. This is not our home, even if he doesn't. Get that Daniel, Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego attitude. Even if he doesn't, we know that he's with us and that he's faithful second. Not only is the Lord's coming, not only is he coming soon, but second, the text shows us that the Lord is is present now. The Lord is present now. Look at verse nine. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or earth or with any other oath but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. This is interesting. As they are suffering, <laughs> they are going through pain, they are probably responding like we are. One of the major themes in the book of James is speech and how we use our tongue. And when we are suffering, especially because of uh, some uh, because of the lack of justice, uh, we, want to, we want to talk about it. We want to we say something about it, right? <laughs> we want to uh, let people know. I praise God for close friends, and I praise God for my wife. Uh, because in times where I'm suffering and, and going through, uh, my close friends, especially one in particular I'm thinking about, uh, he knows me probably second most next to my wife. He would say things like, to, to kind of get my attention, like, bro, you... F- you seem a little emotionally full. That's his cold word. Like, go take a nap. <laughs> Get it together. Go take a nap. Or my wife, she'll say things like, uh, 
hey, babe, what's, what's your next day look like? I think you need about four or five hours by yourself. Is there any way I can help to make that happen? In other words, you are getting on my nerves. <laughs> Go take a break. And I think that's what James is doing here as he's writing this church. Because he turns from saying the Lord is coming to say, hey, remember the Lord is, he's actually present here and that his coming is, is, is near and you want to remember that what you say matters and that he is listening and how you treat your brothers and sisters and those who are close to you, who are suffering with you, it does matter. Because what tends to happen when we're suffering, we tend to take things out on those who are closest around us, right? A, a, a wife may take that out on her, her husband, a husband on her wife. Parents, we may take that out on our kids because we're frustrated at maybe work or something that's not going well. Roommates, we may take that out on each other because we're in a bad mood. And James has said, I know that you're being oppressed from the outside, but remember that doesn't give you a reason to mistreat and to speak harshly against one another. And what's probably happening is what happens now in the church is when uh, oppression happens and when things happen to us, there are normally different perspectives and different views. Like I imagine in, in these churches that some people were saying, you know what, as we're suffering um, and being mistreated and being withheld from financially, some people were probably saying, I think our response is simply just to pray and be quiet. Don't say anything. The Lord will work it out. And others is like, I, I, I don't think that that's the answer. I think that we need to pray and engage politically. We need to do a little more than simply just pray. And others are probably saying, no, I think you guys are missing it. I think both of you all are wrong. Not only do you need to pray and do things politically, I think there needs to be an insurrection. I think this needs to be by any means necessary. And so everybody's got an attitude with each other. And the church is probably divided. I mean, that doesn't happen here in America, right? I mean, we all are on like one accord when it comes to political issues and, and things like that. But just try to imagine that that did happen, right? And James is saying, look at what he says. Brothers and sisters, do not complain, do not grumble about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the, the judge stands at the door. How is the world supposed to know that we are Christ's disciples? You can talk back to me. What's the mark? It's by loving one another. And that's essentially what James has been saying throughout this letter. And, and one of the ways we love one another is by how we speak to each other. The Bible says, yes, we speak the truth, but we do it in love. And we do it with grace. We engage each other's ideas without attacking each other. And the way that James wants us to remember how to do that, the, the thing that he's pointing us to is he's saying, the Lord is present. He hears you. <laughs> he's omnipresent. He is with you. And as Jesus said, on the day of judgment, though we as Christians will not be condemned and judged to eternal damnation or hell because he has absorbed God's wrath for us, our works will be judged. They will go through the fire. And Jesus says this, that every careless word that we have said on a day of judgment will be judged. Will be judged. You see in verses 12 through, actually verse 12 up until verse 13, listen to what James says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear 
either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. You know, I've got to use myself in another bad example. Y'all are going to walk away and say, he is the worst person in the world. Who have we hired to be our pastor? But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, was kind of crunch time. I had a couple writing uh, uh, deadlines to meet. Had more than a couple. It was a few. It all kind of came together at once. And I was just focused, laser focused. And uh, my daughter came up to me one night as I'm trying to pump something out. My wife wasn't far from me. And she, it seemed like every request that she had in her mind for the last two years that she missed, she brought up all at once. She's like, hey, daddy, request number one. And daddy, can we? Request number two. And I think we should request number three. And I'm just overwhelmed and trying to focus. So I just say yes to everything. I'm like, the quickest way to get this over with is to smile and just say yes. And I wasn't listening. I wasn't sure what she was asking. And I'm just like, yes, sweetie. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, yeah. Who would? Of course we will. And daddy, for my birthday, can I get a new Fitbit? Fitbit, yeah, seven-year-olds need Fitbits. We need to. And so a couple days ago, my wife uh, comes up to me. My daughter came back up to me. She's like, oh, dad, my, my birthday's around the corner, and I just can't wait to get X, Y, and Z. And I said, who told you you were going to get that? <laughs> it's your birthday. This is not Christmas. You get one gift. And she said, you said. I said, when did I say that? And she said, you just come. And then after she left the room, my wife said, you did say it. (laughs) She was like, I was listening the entire time, and I thought, this is going to come back to bite them. (laughs) But that's what happens when we're feeling under pressure, right? Sometimes sometimes we we just kind of frivolously say things, or we overpromise. And a lot of times when we do it, we actually think that we're going to be able to do it, but we don't take time to think about our answer. And it's interesting that James says above all, because what I believe is happening here is that because of this pressure that that the body of Christ is feeling and they're feeling as they're working what seems to be menial jobs and not making what they should be making, I believe that they're making promises uh, to those who are oppressing them and probably diving deeper and deeper into debt hoping that things will get better and they'll be able to pay it back. Or perhaps they're just frivolous with their promises now, and it's kind of created a culture where people, and as Christians, their word isn't being taken serious. And this is a good word for us to remember, that our words matter. Our oaths matter. And as the body of Christ, even when we're feeling that pressure as we wait We want to make sure that we are taking time to consider what's being asked of us and that we are speaking honestly and as truthfully as we can. And that's what James is essentially saying. We do this with the remembrance that God, that the Lord, whenever we, whatever we do and whatever we say, he's he's actually present. He's actually present. And that should give us hope. That should give us hope because there is hope because he's there and he sees us. And that's our third point, is this. Third, when life grates, when oppression grates, we look to Christ and we wait, and we do this knowing that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Look at verse 11. 
fact, I'll start at verse 10. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name, in the Lord's name, as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate. I love that. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is coming soon, y'all. Suffering. My grandmother used to say, trouble don't last always. The Lord is near. And we need to remember that we will give an account on how we treat each other. And that it doesn't give it us an excuse to sin because things have gotten hard. But we also want to remember that this Lord who is present and who will one day judge our works, he is also a compassionate and merciful God. Listen, listen, I know. I know as you suffer sometimes, it may not feel like it. I've experienced that. In the valley of shadow of death, sometimes it, it feels like the Lord is not with us. Sometimes his rod and his staff, rather than comfort us and guide us, seems to be, to be spanking us. Sometimes it seems like a, a, a table is prepared in the presence of our enemies, but there's nothing on it but like grass. But the thing we want to remember is that he is with us. He is near. His love and his mercy, it still follows behind us. And that in those times, he is producing something. And the thing that he tells us to do in the times that we are suffering is to remember the prophets before us. Look at what he says. Take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. And here's the thing. As we read the prophets, we know that the prophets suffer well. And I believe it was for two reasons. Number one is because they had a word from God. Number two, they believed in the character of God. Not always and not perfectly. Even the prophets, when we look to examples, we see that most of them, most of them fail. Most of them stumble. So patience and actively... Waiting doesn't mean perfection, but what it does mean is persistence over the long haul. It means that when we fall, we repent and we call out to our mediator with confidence knowing that we will be forgiven and we stay on the long path of obedience, trusting in Jesus. Remember the prophets. Remember, like, yo, remember Abraham. Remember how he had to wait. Remember Moses. And how he had to speak truth to Pharaoh and power to Pharaoh. And it seemed like the Lord wasn't going to come through, but he did with the plagues and released his people from bondage. Like, oh, remember Jeremiah, the one who we call the weeping prophet. Remember Elijah who spoke to to Jezebel and who uh, saw a great victory on on the Mount of Carmel, but then uh, found himself running for his life and depressed under a juniper tree. And God met him where he was and ministered to him. Remember, remember John the Baptist. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus who waited. 42 generations came down, born of a virgin, lived the perfect life, died a criminal's death, and waited three days to be resurrected and show himself again. Remember, don't you forget. 
But then he gives us a specific example, and that example is Job's endurance. Job's endurance. Let's look at what the Bible says about Job. The end of the book, after he suffered, his wife has told him to curse God and die. His friends have tried to convince him based upon their view and vantage point that, uh, that the reason he's in the mess that he's in is because he was unfaithful. Though we know as readers who are reading Job's account that the reason he's actually in the situation he's in is because he was faithful. And this is how the book of Job concludes. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and dined with them in his house. They sympathized with them and comforted him concerning all the adversity look, the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. And our life may not end like Job's. It may not end with a, a restoration like that. We may not see uh, the promises of, of God culminate here on earth, but we do have a promise that one day God will make everything right. And we read this in James earlier in his chapter, in James chapter 1, verse 12, that, that those who endure patiently wait and endure trials, this is what will be said of them. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And then that's what we read right here in this passage in verse 11. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. Blessed, happy, flourishing are those who press on. When oppression grates, they look to Christ and patiently wait, knowing that he's coming soon, that he's present now and that he is compassionate and merciful. And one day we will receive a crown of life. I had a very sobering conversation with a friend of mine that lives in India recently. Two weeks ago, we got to, to meet and he's a pastor and the Lord is, is using him where he is. Persecution has now intensified uh, throughout India, but especially where he is. And before coming to the US, he told me that he had to have a talk with his kids. He called it the talk. And I said, what's the talk? He said, I had to remind them once again that there is a high possibility that I will be imprisoned because of my faith and because we're planting churches here, as some of our friends had been. But he reassured them that the Lord was for them and that the Lord would provide for them and that the Lord still loves them. And I'm telling you, the peace that he had as he talked about what he thought was, was probably uh, imminent persecution. The peace that he had let me know that he, he believed that the Lord was with him. He believed that it was worth it. He believed that Jesus was soon to return. I remember leaving that conversation just praying that the Lord would give me that same endurance and steadfastness that the Lord would help me to treasure him as the one who is worth it. And every Sunday when we take communion, we gather together to remind ourselves of Christ's suffering, 
of his love for us and also of his coming return. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Christian, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We take this meal to remember what Christ has done for us. We also take this meal in anticipation for his return. If you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to partake in this meal as this is a meal for Christians, those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. But my encouragement for you today is to look to Christ, to confess your sins, to have a change of mind about what you believe about the world and who runs it, and to uh, surrender your will to Jesus, knowing that he is in control, that he is the the God-man who lived the perfect life and died the death you deserve. Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised them for the dead and you too can be saved. You too can suffer with hope. Those of you who are at the front, you can come to the front to take communion. Back, you go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.